Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. So we are going to start today. I've entitled the message tonight, Live Fully. Live Fully. And uh, uh, you're never more like God than when you give of something. And, and uh, so in 2 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Corinth about uh, blessing the church of Jerusalem. And, but there's some principles we can pull out of this today that I hope that challenges every one of us and just encourages you in a big way. We're going to start in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9. And Paul said, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the Scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. That means God. You get the attention of God when you help people that are helpless. For God is the only one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Have you noticed a theme here that God is saying, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others? And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ, and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing Great God, grace God has given to you. A lot going on there. We're going to break that down a little bit. Uh, I want to just address one thought, though, that um, maybe you've thought of it, maybe you haven't. Um, you know, some people who want to build a case against believing God and believing in the Bible uh, would probably make this argument. And the question would be this. If you haven't thought about it, it's provocative. It'll get you thinking. Um, if, if God truly forgives us, if God truly forgives us, and, and, and he wipes the slate clean, as Scripture talks about, then why is there still the law of sowing and reaping? It's, a, it's an interesting thought, right? You know, if God truly forgives, wouldn't he, you know, wouldn't he clean the slate with everything? And so I just kind of want to bring some clarity to that before we get too far into this, this text here today. So from a biblical perspective, we live two different lives. Um, there are two very different Greek words uh, that are um, our English words for life. It's just like there are uh, a number of different uh, English words for love. I can say, I love Kim, and I love pepperoni pizza. Both are true. Come on. Both are true, but they mean very different things. And it's the same way with this Greek word, uh, life. And so one Greek word is psychon, and the other one is Zoe. So both are translated in the same English word for life. So for instance, Jesus said, he who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life 
in this world will keep it to life eternal. So you can see here, I put up here the Greek words. So um, he who loves his life, Sykin, Sykin is talking about the material life, the physical life, the life on this side of death. It's the life that we are living right now. That's Sykin. That's your physical body. Zoe is talking about your eternal life, your life after your physical death. It's, it's the life that you will live forever. The, the person that makes up you um, is not flesh and blood. Flesh and blood only houses you. That's why when your body dies, you live. You were destined and created to be eternal. You are an eternal being. You will live forever. And, and so it's, it's an awesome thing, and it's, it's, a, it's just an incredible thought. So what Jesus is saying uh, with this is um, when I forgive you and I wipe the slate clean and I cleanse you with my blood, um, eternally speaking, you are, you are forgiven. Your trajectory has changed. You, you are walking in the will of God. But physically, there are still laws that uh, bind us to this physical world. There's the law of gravity. There's, there's all kinds of laws. Well, the law of sowing and reaping takes place. I can go out and get drunk and, and hit somebody with my car and kill them, and I can ask Jesus to forgive me, and will he forgive me? Yes, but is, is, there, is there consequences? Is there a law of, of, of uh, sowing and reaping that takes place? Yes. So that's what, that's what I want to just clear that up is that in the physical sense, there are things that we do that, um, that reap certain things. And so I don't want to just focus on the negative. That can be positive too. There are things that we can do in this life and plant seeds and, and there'll be a mighty harvest of things among us. And I've said this many times that as a follower of Jesus uh, for the last 36 years, there are, there are things that I planted in my life, seeds that I planted early on, that I'm now reaping a great harvest. And, and so it's never too late to start sowing good things, right? And, and so I hope that maybe that, that was free. I'm not even going to charge you for that one tonight. Just a little extra there. I'm just going to throw that in. So let's get talking about generosity tonight. Uh, there are four things I want to look at tonight. If you're taking notes, number one is the great misunderstanding of generosity. The great misunderstanding of generosity. Uh, Paul said you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. We've all seen people try to manipulate people to give and to be, you know, it, it's it, both in the church and outside the church. I mean, after Sandy hit, I, I can't get over how many people have been indicted and went to prison for stealing money from good, uh, loving, and uh, you know, people that are well-intended to give to help Sandy victims, and people were lining their pockets with it. And so, there, you know, there, it's, it's out there, and, and we all know that it's out there. Um, when God tells us to be generous, it isn't designed to strip away our resources. You need to understand that. When God asks you to do something, it's not so that you, that you come up with less He's not trying to diminish what you have, and, and that's the great misunderstanding. It's exactly what Satan wants us to believe when God asks us to give. His strategy has always been this, Satan's strategy, from the very beginning. There's two, two things. Number one, he wants to displace and minimize Christ's leadership in your life. Everything he does minimizes 
Christ's leadership in your life, and B, he wants to limit your capacity to receive from God's blessings. That's the enemy. That's the way he works. That was Satan's intention in the Garden of Eden. Um, just, just picture this for just one second. Now, uh, I don't know how you picture the Garden of Eden, but um, the, 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 the actual, the right translation for that is not Garden of Eden. The Hebrew word is closer to Garden in Eden. That's actually closer to the original uh, uh, Hebrew text. So um, Eden, we, we know um, as we do a little research in the Old Testament that it was big enough for four major rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, and I forget the other two. They all came into this area. I should know that, right? But I don't. Um, but it was big enough to have four major rivers emptying into it. It wasn't just this little garden in a backyard or this little plot of land. It was a, it was a region, this garden, and it was lovely. It had beautiful trees. We don't know for sure where it was at because after the flood of Noah, all of that topography changed and everything, everything's different, so we don't know. We have a sense that it could be where modern-day Iraq is right now, but we don't know. But any any event, it was a large area. And God says this in Genesis 2. It, God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden. Now, if I'm looking at a garden the size of this room, that's not that significant. But I'm, if I'm looking at a garden the size of New Jersey, that's a pretty big area. You can eat of any of the trees except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So God is saying, you can have everything, just, just not that one tree. Now, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. And what do you think they did? They went for that one tree. And, and, and they did. They did spiritually die. There, there, was a, there was a death that took place in that garden, and the sinful nature came, and, and all of us have been reaping the benefits uh, from that point on. And see, God wasn't depriving them of their prosperity. You need to understand that. The entire world was theirs. The core issue was this. God wanted Adam and Eve understanding that they were answerable to God and recognize His Lordship over all creation. God is saying, I put that boundary in place not to take away from you, but so that you would trust in me, so that you would know that I'm your Lord. And they had a difficult time treating one tree as untouchable. If they would have submitted to God, they could govern the rest of the world. And that's a pretty, pretty good trade-off, and that principle applies to us. You know, um, uh, a few weeks ago, my wife and I took our grandkids to McDonald's, and that's always, that's always um, um, really, that's an interesting evening when you take the kids to McDonald's. Um, and uh, Scott and Faith went on a date, so we had the kids, and we, had a, we actually had a good time. But, but it's so funny, you know, like we go into McDonald's, and, um, you know, Grandpa's going to buy the meal. So I get their little Happy Meals with their fries and their little yogurt whatever they get, and their little toy. And uh, we, we sit down, you know, we're eating, and, and I go to grab a French fry out of Aubrey's thing of fries, and she looks like she's, she's going to knock me right out in, in McDonald's. Like, what are you taking one of my fries for? And I'm laughing to myself, like, I, I bought these fries. They, they belong to me. I'm blessing you, and I'm letting you can't have, let me have one fry. And, uh, and she, she had a fork in her hand. She was going for my neck. It was just terrible. It was terrible. Traumatic. Scott, what are you teaching those kids? But that's the same thing within each of us, isn't it? God is saying, I've given you everything. 
And sometimes he says, hey, will you just give one thing? And we're like, no, now you're messing with me. Now, now, now you're really you know, pushing me against the wall. And, and so that same thing, that great misunderstanding has continued to take place. God does not set boundaries to force us into a place of misery. We need to understand that His commandments always have a twofold purpose. They teach us to recognize His Lordship, and they bring us into a place to receive His blessings. God wants to bless you and not harm you. Jesus wants, to, wants us to know that um, our sowing, when we sow, it enlarges our capacity to receive. Nothing stretches you more than when you learn to sow. And the harvest of one seed is many times greater than the seed itself. That's a principle that every farmer puts his life on the line every year when they plant a field. They trust in that, that that's going to come true, and it, and it does. Jesus said this. He said, give generously, and generous gifts will be given back to you. Shaken down to make room for more, abundant gifts will pour out upon you with such an overflowing measure that it will run over the top. Your measure of generosity becomes the measure of your return. You know what he's saying? It's by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. About a month ago, my wife and I were in Miami, and uh, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> it was awesome outside. It was in the 80s, <coughs> and we went to this little trendy area where there were restaurants, and you could sit out on the sidewalk and eat, and it was just amazing. And uh, we, uh, we were having breakfast at this real trend. It would be similar to toast, and uh, we, we were just out on the sidewalk, and man, we were eating this incredible breakfast, and... Uh, and I'm, I'm, Kim and I are facing each other, and I'm looking over her shoulder, and um, there's a man, I, I would say he was in his late 20s, maybe, if I could guess. There was a man sitting at this bus stop. It was one of those plexiglass bus stops where you could see through it, and there was a bench inside. And, but it was the way he was sitting that caught my eye. He, his jeans were completely ripped out. Uh, even more so than most of our staff wear them. They, they were like, <laughs> and, and it defi they definitely <laughs> couldn't, oh, thank you, dog. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll take a double cheeseburger and a fry when you're done. Thank you, brother. Th thank you. Um, and, uh, and so we, you know, it was obvious looking at him that, that he had, you know, his clothes hadn't been washed in a long time. And the way he was sitting on the bench and he, his, his head was kind of down between his legs and his hands were just dr like, hanging on the sidewalk he was just and he was just out and there was a guard he had a garbage bag with him and my, my wife and I are sitting there eating and we're just eating this this great breakfast and enjoying it and man neither one of us can stop looking at this guy like we just couldn't get him out of our mind and we both at the same time just said you thinking what worth yeah we're thinking the same thing and so we went in and we got a breakfast sandwich and and a thing of orange juice and we walked across the street and um, and I gave it to him and I woke him up, and he, he was just out of it. And, you know, my heart, my heart just ached for this young man because, you know, as I looked at him, um, you know, I'm thinking, number one, he's somebody's son, and number two, he has a story. You know, and I want to say, what's your story? How would you get here? What's going on in your life? And, and he looked at me, and, and I gave him the, the, the food, and he thanked me, and, and Kim and I left. And, you know, we, we went back to our thing, and we were hanging out by the pool, and, you know, that was miserable. I mean, I, I, 
honestly, I sitting there by the pool all day. I'm thinking about this guy. Like, what's he doing? So about seven o'clock that night, Kim and I get ready to go to dinner, and we we walked back towards that same area. And seven o'clock at night, it was getting dark, and um, he was in the same bus stop in the same spot. He'd been there all day. And you know, my heart just my heart just ached for him. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying that that as you start to follow Jesus, you will start to get eyes like Jesus has. You, you will start to notice things that Jesus would notice. It, things start to bother you that would bother Jesus. You know what I mean? And, 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 and it was honestly the easiest thing in the world for us to, we wanted to do more. We just didn't, we just didn't know what to do. And, and so I just want to warn you, number one, that as you, as you draw closer to Jesus and you become more like him, you're going to have a spirit of generosity on you and you're going to help people. You're going to see people in need, and you're going to want to do something to help them. And, and it's, it's a good thing. And you know what? It's, there, there's a joy that comes in giving like you can't even imagine. Much better than receiving. Although I do like that too. So come on, Ben says. Okay, number two. Number two. We are, the f- we are first recipients of God's generosity. We need to remember that. It was, it was him who gave first. While you and I were at our worst, the Bible says, when we were sinners, when we were out there living apart from God and doing our own thing, he gave his life for us. So he can't love, you know, he, there's nothing you could do that would cause him to love you less. He already saw you at your worst. And you were important enough to him to want Jesus to come and give his life for you. So he was first. It says in verse 10, it says, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. So why is it difficult? Why is it difficult to be a giver, to to be one who... To be one who's a river and not a reservoir with their stuff. Why is it difficult? And I think it's pretty easy if I can illustrate it. So let's just imagine there's a straight line right here. And on one side, you would have greed. And on the other side, you would have generosity. So I I just want to kind of show you the difference. It has to do with two different kinds of hearts. So the the heart over here that that is a heart that's filled with greed... um, uh, this this heart's perspective sees God as a taker. So in other words, when God asks you for something, He is He is taking from you, and and so somehow you're going to be diminished. Somehow you're going to be depleted. Somehow it's going to cost you something. That's how you view God. Maybe maybe you've lost a loved one in your life, and you're like, I see God as a taker. He took my mom, or he took my dad, or he took my brother, or whatever. You see God as a taker, and, and so that's your heart perspective. That's where, that's where everything's coming from, and, and, and you feel like, like you're being constantly asked by God to give something, to give back to him because he's so demanding, and, and, and because you feel that way, then you start to grasp after things and hold tight to material things so that your needs can be met. See, see, why, see that perspective? You look at God as constantly saying, give me, give me, give me. God is an ever-demanding, ever-taking God. But the heart of generosity 
has another perspective. It sees God not as a taker, but as a giver. And, and so that heart looks up to God and sees God as a supplier, as a helper, someone who's n- not going to strip, strip them clean, but someone who's going to bless them abundantly. That's the generous heart. And so when that person looks to God, he feels replenished and not drained. He feels exhilarated and not anxious. When this person hears a command from God, the heart sees it as a gift, as an opportunity for blessing, not as, a, not as something that you would just dread doing, not as a, as a harsh demand. So what makes the difference? The, the difference between the heart of greed and the heart of generosity, the, what's the difference? It's, it's, in, it's in their relationship to God and their relation to God. It's how you see God. For one, God is demanding, draining, a taker. For the other, he's a limitless giver, an infinite fountain flowing with blessing and grace. See, that there's a different perspective. <clears throat> and so when this person feels, uh, when he looks at the needs of others and he sees the need, he feels free to share, to give, to be a blessing. This impulse is called love or grace. Do you know that love is simply vertical grace bent toward people? That's what it is. Love is vertical grace bent toward people. You're never more like God than when you reach out to those that are hurting. You're never more like God. And you're never more like God when you say, God, you bought all my French fries And I'm freely going to give you back some. (laughs) Cheerfully. Number three, if you're taking notes. The great thing about this is that others then are recipients of our generosity. We were recipients of God's. Now others become recipients of our generosity. And he says in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Isn't it exciting and mind-blowing to know that you can do something for someone to cause them to praise God? How good is that? So two things will result from this ministry of giving. He said, the needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. You're a part of that. You are a part of causing someone else to give glory to God because you were a conduit that God used to be a blessing to them. That's just cool stuff. A.W. Tozer, who uh, was a pastor and evangelist in the last century, uh, was an incredible writer. He, He wrote this, and I just think this is so good. He said, the widest thing in the universe is not space. It is the potential capacity of the human heart being made in the image of God. It is capable of almost unlimited extension in all directions. And one of the world's greatest tragedies is that we allow our hearts to shrink until there's room in them for little besides ourselves. See, what I am is God's gift to me. And what I do with it is my gift to God. It's good stuff. I shared this story um, a number of months ago 
in Center Mariches, and I know some of you that, that um, just come exclusively on Tuesday nights, you wouldn't have heard it, but I just thought it was so appropriate, and I wanted to share it again with you. And uh, um, uh, there was a woman in our church in, in Michigan where I uh, became a believer in Jesus, and, and uh, this woman had uh, been at that church for 50 or 60 years. She was older, and uh, her husband died when she was young. She was a widower. She raised her kids on, on just peanuts. She had a little dinky house and uh, just worked hard for everything. And she was a type of woman. Um, her name was Ann, Ann Baxter. And uh, she was a type of woman. She had one of those 68-pound King James Bibles that she'd have underneath her arm. Man, that thing was all marked up and held together with duct tape and screws and all kinds of stuff. And uh, she, she just, she'd bring that thing in, man. She could quote the word. She could pray, bro. She would pray you. She, I'm, I tell you, things go flying off you, man, when she starts praying. She was, she was crazy intercessor. And so spirit-filled, man, just had the power of God in her life. And would, would, would I mean, you, you, you could never walk past her without her grinning from ear to ear, just telling you how much Jesus loved you. And she was just that way. So um, my, my father-in-law, Kim's parents, uh, uh, they had three girls, and, the, and Kim's older sister, Vanessa, was really, really sick. She was really sick. She wasn't getting better. And so my father-in-law got up one morning, and she said to my mother-in-law, he said, um, listen, um, I, I want to take Vanessa over to Sister Baxter's house and have her lay hands and pray for her. And my mother-in-law said, that's a great idea. So they got in the car, went over there. They knocked on the door. She come to the door, and they said that when she came to the door, she didn't even look like the same person. She, her countenance was different. Her hair was messed up. She was angry. <laughs> they're like, what the heck happened, man? You know, it was, they were like, what, you know, this is crazy. And, and so she's like, you know, what do you want? You know, <laughs> what are you doing here? And, uh, and, and my father-in-law was like, well, we, we, Sister Baxter, we just came so that you could pray for our daughter. She's I'm not praying for anyone. I don't feel like praying today. And they're like, what? You know, what's going on? And so they finally talked their way into the house. And they're like, what's going on? And, and she's like, she's like, I can't. I don't feel like praying today. This is the worst season of my life. And, and uh, she said, my well completely dried up. I don't have any water. And I don't have any money. Now, I, was, I used to be in the plumbing industry before I became a pastor, and maybe some of you are in the construction field. You know that when a well dries up, it doesn't just replenish itself. You have to drill a new well deeper into a different water pocket and get, well, usually have to go deeper to get to hit water again. Would that be correct? Right. Her, her, for, a, for a week, there was no water. It was bone dry. She didn't know what she was going to do. She was praying and believing and laying hands on the faucets, and nothing was happening. And she was completely upset and discouraged and starting to doubt a little bit. And my father-in-law said, you know, Sister Baxter, I'll make you a deal. If you pray for our daughter, we will pray for your well. And she did not want to do it, but she knew that Larry wasn't going to leave without her praying for, the, for their daughter. So just out of pressure, she said, okay, we'll pray. <laughs> and so she, she starts to pray. And they said the moment she started praying, you could see the joy return and the power return. And she started getting a little bit taller. Man, and she was just praying one of those prayers. You know, you know, 
you know, and she was going at it, man. And just the Spirit of God was in that place. She's praying for healing for Kim's sister, just going at it. And they got done, and then they, then my, my in-laws then prayed over her well, that God would do a miracle and bless her. So what you need to understand is that it was generosity that caused her to want to just I'm just going to pray even when I don't feel like it. Let me tell you something. Sometimes when I've prayed for people and I don't feel like it, that's when God has moved the most. And you know why? Because it's not you. You're a vessel. It's God working through you. So the next morning, about 6 o'clock in the morning, my in-law's phone rings. And it's Sister Baxter. And I pick up the phone. She's like, Hallelujah! I'm on my third load of laundry. The water came on in the middle of the night. <laughs> and as long as that woman lived in that house until she died, she never had to put a well in that house. The generosity of God. And then, and then the generosity that, that she began to influence other people, and they were blessed. And it just was, it was and, my, and my, my sister-in-law was healed as well. I didn't even say that. That was, that was the other good part of it. So... See how God works. It's a good thing to be involved in. Number four, and I'm almost done here. God's generosity enlarges your capacity to be generous. He says in verse 8, And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Ask yourself this. You know, the Bible, the Bible, you can't ask yourself that. I'll, I'll say that again in a minute. The Bible, you know, talks about bread being the staple for man, you know. And in, in, the, in, in the Bible times, bread was what they survived on, and bread still is that way. And, uh, and so ask yourself this, is if bread was God's way of giving us nutrition and, and eating and, and it would sustain us, if, if bread was that thing, then, then, then why didn't God just create bread trees? that grew loaves of bread that were crusty on the outside. Think about it. He could have created different orchards of bread orchards. And so over here you have the Italian area. Allie would be right in the middle of all that. And then, and then down the road you have the French area. And those were the long ones hanging off the tree. They're about that they're narrow, the French, the French bread trees, right? And then, and then you had kind of the, the dried out area where there wasn't much water. That was the matzo tree area. That was the matzo tree area. And then you had the really cool area. They had, they had LED lights and everything. It was called the wonder bread trees. They had little dots all over the place. It was really awesome. And then, and then um, you, had, you, had, you had the trees that literally looked like they were sagebrush, and they were probably descendants from the tree that Jesus cursed, and those were the gluten-free uh, bread trees that no one wants to eat anyway. They're just nasty, just nasty. And then you had trees that, that, that it was, they were kind of weird. They kind of grew all over the sidewalks, and they were pita. pita I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. But you get the picture. You could go all day with this, right? But why wouldn't God just create trees that had bread on them? Why? And I'm going to tell you why. I'm glad you asked that. 
Because God prefers, prefers to offer us grain and invite us to buy a field and plow the soil and plant the seed. God prefers that we till the soil while he sends the rain. God prefers that we harvest the crop while he sends the sunshine. God prefers that we grind up the crop and knead it and bake it while he gives us air in our lungs and strength in our arms. Because God would rather that we become partners with him in creation than just give it to us. And so whenever you're generous, whenever you start to act on uh, generosity, that, that God is asking you to do something, God points out something, you, you are partnering with God to impact other people. And I can't think of a better way to live your life than to be a generous life. And I can't think of any other way than to live but to live fully. And I, you can't live fully if you're not generous. There's, it's just awesome stuff. Could we stand real quick? And um, I'm a, thank you. Um, and I can't talk about this tonight without asking you a question. And I, I don't know everyone that's here. And I, I, I really, um, I can't see anybody other than the front row. So there might only be four people here. I don't know. But maybe you're here for the first time or you've been coming um, for a few weeks or months. And um, I believe that tonight this generous God that we're talking about um, wants to make you an offer. I'll make you an offer that you can't refuse. Just a flashback of something. I saw a commercial or something. Um, and this offer is eternal life. God, in his generosity, made a way for us to live fully, to live eternally. And it was through his son, Jesus, who laid down his life for us. The Bible talks about the kindness of God leading us to repentance. Kindness and generosity are brothers. <laughs> and friends, if you're here tonight and, and you've never opened your heart and your life to the Lordship of Jesus. You've never, you, you know about him, you know who he is, you know the name, but you don't really know him. You don't walk with him every day, but you're searching. That's why you're here tonight. I, I just want to give you an opportunity to meet him and to, to have Jesus become Lord of your life, sit on the throne of your heart, and transform you and give you purpose and meaning and, and it'll change your destiny. It'll change your kids. It'll change your family for generations. And so I'm going to just say a prayer. I'm going to lead out in a prayer, and I'd, I'd like everyone to pray it with me if you don't mind. But for those that you're, you're that person I just mentioned, you're like, man, that's me. I want this. I don't know, I don't know how to do it. First of all, you need to know it has, it has, it's not about joining the harbor. It's not about joining a denomination. It's not about going through a 10-step membership class. All of that stuff is okay, I guess. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about you having a relationship with the creator of the universe that wants to live in you. And so he's already offered the gift through his generosity. We now just say, yes, Lord, I receive that. 
And I embrace that. And I will surrender my life to you. And you can live on the throne of my heart and be my Lord. And I'll, every decision I make comes through your Lordship now. It's awesome. And so I'm going to say that prayer. And, and, and I want you to pray with me. And if, and if that's you tonight, I want you to pray that everything we do, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's not, it's just, I just want, I want it to help guide you so that you know what you're asking. So let's just pray this together. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing me here tonight. I recognize my need for you. I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm empty and I need to be filled. I'm lost and I need to be found. So Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and to reign in my life, I fully surrender everything to you. I will follow you all the days of my life. Help me, Jesus. In your precious name, amen. Now, friend, if you, if you prayed that... Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.